Just a few months ago, shares of PG&E, the California utility, were trading near $50 a share. That was before the company's power lines were blamed for California's devastating forest fires. This week, the company filed for bankruptcy. It's a clear example of how climate change has imperiled companies and investors. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to The Readback. Today, we're rejoined by Barron's senior writer, Leslie Norden, who has just finished a major project ranking how big companies are exposed to climate risk. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Alex. Wall Street takes a lot of pride in being able to assess risk and price stocks accordingly. But when it comes to climate change, and it could be this era's greatest risk, we're really still in the dark. That's right. We are. One of the things that I decided to do when I approached this story, I wanted to understand how investors would be affected by climate risk. And so I decided to look at the S&P 500, which is the most popular stock index in America, and which is the basis for the most widely held index funds in America. And probably in a lot of retirement accounts. And are in a lot of retirement accounts. And I decided to see how the different companies would be affected by climate risk. Can you explain to us a little more about why do we really need a ranking like this around the effect of climate change on public company stocks? We need a ranking like this because extreme weather events are growing more and more severe. We are now in the era of permanent climate disaster, and we better start getting prepared. Today, the new report from George Washington University estimates that nearly 3,000 died in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Hurricane Sandy, that storm already slamming Cuba. Now we have with climate change. Many of these types of droughts will likely last for 20, 30, sometimes even 40 years. More than 11.4 billion in uninsured losses have been reported from the November fires. 79 people have been killed in the Camp Fire in Northern California, now by far the most deadly and destructive fire in state history. I spoke to Paula DiPerna of the CDP, which is a carbon disclosure project, and she said, you can expect physical disruption of supply chains and inventories. This is a major cost because the frequency of these events is unprecedented. I don't mean to sound overly dramatic, but obviously these are issues that people worry about, and these are issues that investors worry about. It's been difficult to quantify in the past, and what our story does is attempt to give a context through which investors can think about a serious issue. It seems clear that investors really don't yet have the tools to think about climate change and risk and how it affects companies, but this isn't a new topic. To what extent have companies quantified climate risk so far? Standard & Poor's Global Ratings actually did a study about this last year. And what they discovered is that in fiscal 2017, 15% of the S&P 500 publicly disclosed an effect on earnings from weather-related events. Now, only 4% of the companies actually quantified the effect. Not a very big number. Not a very big number, but for those that did, earnings were affected by 6%. That's a pretty big number when you are looking at the stock price, and this estimate is not actually built into forecasts for earnings. For those companies that did talk about or warn about it, it was a 6% drag on their earnings. Right. Could you give us a few examples of companies that have been affected so far and have actually talked about it? Right. According to company filings with CDP, one of them was CVS Health, which incurred $57 million in losses as About 1,200 of its 9,800 locations experienced short-term closures during the 2017 hurricane season. Another company, AT&T, had $627 million in natural disaster costs and revenue credits to customers. 
Surely those aren't the only companies affected by climate change, though. How did you go about coming up with a ranking to look at the broader universe of companies and how they're affected by climate change? I found a data provider in Berkeley, California called 427. They provide climate risk analytics by looking through the databases of the company's physical sites, both owned and leased. And then they overlay that with climate and weather data. This is data that is used by institutional investors who want to look at their municipal bond portfolio risk as well as their publicly traded stock risk. What 427 did was run their numbers for us, and then they supplied us with a ranking for the S&P 500, a list of companies from the most exposed all the way down to the least exposed. What 427 used in their scoring system was a number for operating risk, which includes things like heat stress, water stress, floods, hurricanes, and sea level rise as well as supply chain risk. And that's basically all based on where they're located? That's partly based on where they're located, but mostly where their facilities are located. Okay. So number one was Norwegian Cruise Line, which has several facilities in Miami. All of them are highly exposed to floods from extreme rainfall and to hurricanes. One of the things that I think was very interesting about this study is that we have some of the best managed companies in America on it as well as companies that are well-known for their sustainability. For example, four of the companies on our list are actually on our list of most sustainable companies that we publish in February. So that's an interesting dynamic. Most sustainable being companies that are doing the right things around governance and other issues. Right, that are, that are known for treating the environment well, that are known for treating their employees well. You know, among them are applied materials, Royal Caribbean, Western Digital, Bristol Myers Squibb, and all of these companies are also in the top 15 of the most exposed to climate risk. And there was one interesting example of that. You have an asset manager on your list that's based in Baltimore, Maryland, and they wind up on the list simply because of that headquarter location. That's right. Number 14 is the fund giant T. Rowe Price, which is obviously an extremely well-managed company. They're at risk of sea level rise and flooding. We talked to the company. They're well-prepared. They did scenario analysis for a 100-year flood and a 500-year flood after Hurricane Harvey flooded Houston in 2017. So T. Rowe Price has a number of recovery sites and backup facilities at a number of locations. So they're definitely thinking about it. And it's clear you reached out to every company on your list. What did you hear from these guys? It was all over the map. Some companies wouldn't even respond to repeated phone calls and repeated emails. But quite a few companies were really candid about their preparations for climate change. The problem is that the effects of climate change will grow more and more severe as the years go on, right? we're going to have more extreme weather events. So they need to be prepared, and they also need to tell investors how well they're prepared if investors are going to hold them for the long term. And it's interesting to point out right now, there's really not any structure, requirements, regulation around how these companies report climate risk, right? I mean, it's kind of, that's also a little bit all over the map. It is all over the map. Um, You know, increasingly, there will be guidance about how they report climate risk. There is a G20 group that actually makes recommendations for how to report climate risk, and that is chaired by 
Michael Bloomberg. I think more and more companies will report according to those standards. The Carbon Disclosure Project, which is now called CDP, also has many, many companies that report to it about their um, climate risk. And you can go onto their website and find those reports. And I'm guessing bottom line is that it's going to be stories like this and investors asking the questions that really force companies to both think about the topic and to start talking more about it themselves, right? Right. Well, it may be stories like this and investors asking questions, but they will be asking questions and we will be asking questions because of the more extreme weather events that people expect. Yeah. It seems like every fall now, we do stories about the latest wave of hurricanes and depending on where they are in the country, who's most exposed. And that tends to be a very reactive way of talking about the story. But of course, reactive doesn't work for investors, right? This all has to be done in advance and thought about in advance. It does need to be thought about in advance. One interesting company that I talked to is called Merck, the drug giant. The head of the supply chain had a candid conversation with me about their own preparations for climate change. His name is Craig Kennedy. He is a math expert, and he loves scenario modeling. He started in 2012, which is basically when Superstorm Sandy decimated parts of New York. It also decimated lots of New Jersey, and Merck's headquarters are in New Jersey. So since 2012, he's set to deal with any number of natural disasters. In 2017, that was Hurricane Maria, which tore through Puerto Rico. Merck manufactures a cholesterol drug called Atozet in Puerto Rico. They also manufacture a chemotherapy treatment. So they got the factory up and running in a week, but the roads there were still a wreck. So they had to start planning for a new supply chain out of Singapore. Now, last year, we all remember Hurricane Florence. That was threatening two of Merck's factories, one in North Carolina and another one in Virginia. Both of them make critical vaccines, including one for measles, mumps, and rubella. Craig told me that they had learned from Maria. They made their disaster plans. They prepared generators. Some people began sleeping at the factories. And then at the last minute, the hurricane turned towards South Carolina. And this is what Craig said. We learned a lot from Maria that we applied to Florence. It can go for you or it can go against you, but you cannot predict what's going to happen in the end. Wow. And I think the Merck example is obviously an important one. We're not talking in this case just about a stock price for investors. As you said, we're talking about vaccines. I mean, this has real world implications as well. That's right. And it's difficult for them to shift production because um, manufacturing for drug companies is so heavily regulated. So they really have to do a lot of long range planning around climate and a lot of other risks. How did you go about structuring your project. It seems like it was largely focused around facilities and physical plants. Why was that the decision that you made? You're right. There are many different ways of measuring climate change. There's carbon footprinting, which is measuring the amount of greenhouse gases that a company might emit and how it mitigates those. There's also transition risk, right? Who's going to fare best or worst as governments and companies move to curb greenhouse gas emissions? But we chose this method um, of looking at physical facilities because 
it seemed like this is where the rubber was going to meet the road. This is where supply chains would be located. And it's because of these supply chains that products get out to consumers. And it's where real humans live, right? It's where their employees are based. It's a real human implications. Plus, it's also, I imagine, quantifiable. That's right. There are many databases of facilities for companies. So I guess then this isn't the end-all, be-all ranking of climate change, but it's a very good place to start? It's one place to start. It's a way to look at companies, to think of systematically about climate change instead of living in this state of anxiety about a phenomenon that you don't know how it will affect your portfolio. Readers are going to walk away from this story far better educated than they were before, I think. How should investors take this ranking and start applying it to their portfolios? You know, people increasingly are investing in the S&P 500 index. They think it's less risk than the rest of what's available in the investment universe. But even a steady index fund has its own risks, right? All these companies in the S&P 500 have climate risks. Some of the companies are addressing them better than others. What we really want are companies that are sustainable over the long haul, by which we mean that they're durable over the long haul, so that we as investors who are saving for retirement, that want a long-term investment, can genuinely put our trust in these companies we're investing in. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks for having me. For more about the risk to companies from climate change, read Leslie's story in this week's issue of Barron's and, as always, on Barron's.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoff. We'll return next Wednesday.